You're listening to Couch Kicker, the podcast that wants you to push yourself further. I'm your host, Jan Smalaga, and this is episode five. Hello, it has been a couple of weeks since our last episode. I'll be honest, life and work have been looming large these past couple of weeks, so I've just not had the time to edit and release episodes. But the good news is that I do have a couple of episodes, in fact, a good few episodes in the bag ready to go, and they will be coming at you over the next couple of weeks. For new listeners, This is Couch Kicker, a podcast that I started because I am a lazy swine who is addicted to his couch, and I want to kick that couch habit. So each episode, I have a conversation with someone who will hopefully inspire me and inspire you to just get up off your couch, get out there, and do more. So this is episode five, and Genuinely, it's been great to hear your feedback on the episode so far. Uh, Watch that subscriber count tick up each week. If you're tuning back in for this episode and you haven't yet subscribed, um, I do have to say, what are you doing? You know, hit that subscribe button. And uh, if you do, waves of motivational energy will radiate out from your device and you will, as if by magic, find yourself being supercharged and capable of taking on the world like some sort of incredible hulk of well-being. You'll find that you can leap over tall buildings and tear a phone book in half, and you will also become roughly 62% more alluring to your romantic partner and also a more kind and considerate lover. Actual results may vary. Waves of motivational energy not guaranteed. On today's episode, our guest talks about balancing work, life and hobbies with the aim of keeping a focus on staying reasonably fit. We talk about running, a hobby that I have certainly held no real love for in the past. We talk about Spartan races, which sound dreadful. And we talk about the delightfully brutal sport of Kabaddi. Harj Chima is a comedian that I know from the comedy circuit in London. It's something that I have touched on in past episodes, but I do dabble in stand-up comedy. And now, look, I don't mean, you know, live at the Apollo level. That's kind of, you know, Man United. I'm more like Aldershot Town FC. You know, not an elite performer, but I'll occasionally make a good cop run. Um, But before we start the episode and get into the interview, I do want to kind of say a little bit about this, because you might find a few of the guests on the podcast are comedians or, like, comedy-adjacent And I just wanted to kind of explain why. Firstly, you know, I do have a sort of connection into that network of comedians. Uh, But also, you know, live comedy is a long way from being back to normal levels. So really, there's a lot of comedians out there with some spare time to do a podcast. Um, But most importantly, I think there's something in the personality of a comedian that fits well with the mission of the podcast. You know, for someone to get up on stage in front of a room full of strangers and try to make them laugh it takes a special kind of motivation and that motivation can also translate into like other aspects of their life in some quite wonderful ways and I think you know if you go back and listen to the episode with Joy France or with Martin Moore you'll certainly see how that can manifest itself in what they choose to do and that makes me feel motivated to hear some words from our sponsor. 2020 has been a year to forget, but 2021, let me tell you, it is your year. I think that you deserve to get out there for some adventure. 
And let's be honest, you deserve it. Treat yourself next year. Go and climb a mountain or trek to some beautiful landmark in a far-flung land and gaze up at the cloudless, starry sky as you lie back in a hammock. But after you've paid for your flight, do you really want to then go and spend a fortune on kit like sleeping bags and down jackets and walking poles that you're probably going to use only once? No. No, you do not. And that is where Outdoor Hire comes in. Outdoor Hire have a fantastic service where you can rent kit that would normally cost hundreds of pounds for a fraction of the cost of buying it new. Now you go on their website, you click what you need, it'll arrive at your door ready to go. When you get back home, you just send it back to them. No drama, easy peasy. So don't waste time traveling around the shops looking for a bargain. Do it the easy way. And if you go to outdoorhire.co.uk and use the code COUCH when placing an order, you'll get 10% off. That's code COUCH, C-O-U-C-H, to get 10% off any full price order at outdoorhire.co.uk. In 2016, today's guest was a full-time salesperson, a retired comedian, and he hated running. Following some career changes, he took the chance to do a Spartan race at three weeks' notice and has since gone on to run nine of the things. He's also set up his own business and is back on the comedy circuit with a sold-out solo show at the London Museum of Comedy called Chicken Fried Dreams. I first met him at a gig above a pub in Brentford. He's a funny man. It is Harge Chima. Harge Chima, thanks for joining me on Couch Kicker. How are you doing? Yes, I am well, thank you, mate. Thank you very much for having me. Um, good to catch up with you after, I think, six or seven months. Yeah, it's been ages. I think last time I saw you was at a stand-up show in Greenwich. It was a blackout. Which one was it? I think it was a year ago, actually. It would have been about a year ago, you know. That's right. It was... Um, I Did I make it that night? I think you, you got through. Yeah, I think we both got through. I remember everyone got yeah. through, but neither of us won. Nah, unfortunately. <laughs> Stormed off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for coming on, mate. I think you know, we've kind of know each other through comedy. And like is often the case when you know somebody in just one specific area, you don't really know much about what they do outside of that. Um, yeah. But I put a call out for guests in the podcast. You got in touch to say you'd done a load of Spartan races. I think you've done nine or something now. Yeah, that's right. I've done nine. And I remembered in the intervening period, I also did another race uh, called Nuclear as part of a day out with the gym. Um, so that's, I got a medal for it, so I'm counting it as 10. Yeah, why not? So just slot that one yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's kind of cool. I wanted to talk to you about that because I'm, I'm aware, of, I'm kind of vaguely aware of what Spartan races are. I had a look at... Oh, and I also do... Sorry to interrupt. I just remembered. I also do spinathons as well. Spinathons. Charity spinathons are like four to eight hours of spinning. No, I, I went spinning once. Somebody at uni dragged me to a spinning class and I walked out. I was like, nah, never again, never again. Oh, what a good fun. It, is keep, it, is, it is keep fit if the Nazis won the war. I, I have no yeah, interest maybe. in it. I think, have you always been fairly active? Because I don't think Spartan races, you don't kind of fall into them easily. Is this something you've always had an interest in? Um, so not necessarily the races, but certainly being active. Yeah, like ever since I was a kid, I was always running around. Um, like for me, the first kind of activity that I got into, physical activity, even though I didn't even think of it as such because I enjoyed it so much as playing football. So I, I probably started playing football maybe seven or eight years old and 
started with teams pretty young as well. I definitely remember playing under 10s um, and, you know, all through school, all through university um, and my 20s. And even now, I'm 39 now and I still play every Friday, um, although not not competitively. Um, although matches, they can get competitive, but no one's keeping score. They are keeping score, but no one should be keeping score as well. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. No, no not, one ever plays a game and doesn't keep score. Yeah, it's not going in any history books is, is, yeah. is the point. But yeah, that's always been my thing is football and never thought of it as an activity just because I enjoyed it so much. It's interesting you say you never thought of it as an activity because I was the same as a kid. I would like, you know, play football, play like various games and you never think of it as exercise. If you said to a kid of that age, listen, I want you to run around for 90 minutes because it's exercise they'd be like no way but as exactly. soon as you like say it's a game of football you're like right i get to be man you you're liverpool let's go mate you're 100 right i remember playing we like especially in the summer and the, you know when the sun just didn't seem to go down we'd play for three four hours at a time you know what i mean just kicking a ball around and the score would be like 29 28 or something stupid by yeah. the end of it and um, and then you'd eventually stop and get home and your legs would be like aching and you'd be like, well, what was that? Oh, yeah, I just played four hours of football. I probably ran about 25 miles without thinking about it. Um, Absolutely. I think the difference between then and now, though, is if you did that now, it'd probably take you a week to get over all that running. It's true. Like now I I kind of had to get... I was playing like two games a week or three games a week up until I was sort of 35. And then I was like, no, I can't do it because I started just... You just get injuries, you don't realise, and things get tighter as you get older. Yeah, you get that wear and tear, don't you? Yeah. Um, but thankfully, the joints are okay. That's the main one. Yeah, you got to keep take care of them. Um, so have you always kind of, had, have you had like a, a sporting family? Were your parents into uh, being active? Yeah, so my dad's my old man. Um, he used to play a sport called Kabaddi, which oh, is yeah. a Punjabi sport. It's kind of like wrestling or, or um rugby type catch game like there's a game called british bulldog i don't know if you know it and people always say it's very similar yeah. to british bulldog um which i remember playing once as a kid but i don't remember i don't actually remember the rules of it or anything but so so my dad played that to a fairly high level he played it um so when they all came over to to england you know within the community they used to set up tournaments and whenever wherever there was a, a strong punjabi base in the country for example, Southall or Birmingham or Glasgow or places like that, they would go and have these tournaments through the summer. And in, in international as well, they formed their own international teams and they'd go to places where there was a big um, Punjabi population, like Canada, less so America, I guess. They'd go back to India and stuff and they played. He, he played to quite a high level. My uncle was involved in it as a coach as well. So, you know, he'd take us down the park and he'd be training and playing with his teammates. And I always used to turn up with a football and so they'd all go and do their training and I'd just go to the other end of the park, find some of my own age and kick a ball about with them. <laughs> so like as a result of that, I think there was always um, like that kind of physical aspect, uh, exercise growing up. Yeah. I watched uh, videos a while back. On, it was like greatest tackles or greatest uh, takedowns it's, in Kabaddi. It's, it's mental. Like I, I recommend anyone listening to this, just go on YouTube and search like, best kabaddi hits or best kabaddi raids is bonkers i don't know why it's not an olympic sport i'd love to watch that yeah it's quite entertaining to watch like i obviously ended up watching a few tournaments and like 
you get into it. Like my cousin, in fact, started playing in India as well, and he played to quite high level in India. And um, I used to go and watch him. And like, yeah, it can get quite violent. Like, they there's some big hits in it. They'll they'll strike each other across the face if they need to. <laughs> um, you know, there's a tackle in it, which is like a scissor tackle, which is similar to a sizzle t- scissor tackle in football, which is obviously a red card offence, right? Yeah, for obvious reasons. And they and they do the same move in in Kabaddi, but obviously the difference in football is you're supposed to be taking the ball rather than the man. Whereas in Kabaddi, you are taking the man. But <laughs> if you put, I mean, I'll leave it to your imagination, but if you put a scissor tackle on someone and, and it goes wrong, then you're breaking that person's leg, right? Yeah, there you must know. be a really high rate of injuries in Kabaddi. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's probably quite a high rate of concussion, but it's not that, it's not regulated. Like, you know, like rugby has a lot of concussion in it. Yeah. And they're only just kind of getting on top of it now. And certainly American football has had a lot of concussion in it, even though they're playing with helmets. So there must be. It's not as regulated as those sports. And those sports are still struggling with things like concussion as well. So, yeah, it's a pretty full-on game. Yeah, you've got to be strong, quick and fairly resilient to take a hit and and keep playing. Yeah, there's no protective gear, no helmets, no gum shields. You're just going in there raw. They literally play in shorts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> incredible yeah. so you said it's like British Bulldog when you're on the playground at school somebody's getting a game of British Bulldog going you're like I know a few moves did you whip out the scissor kicks no because I weirdly never really had any interest in playing and I don't like it's kind of sound weird to say I'm, I, I, I'm a bigger guy in terms of my size um, but I've never really enjoyed kind of the physical aspect of things like I remember my school played rugby for a couple of terms and I never really enjoyed it. Um, and then years later at university, a lot of my mates would try and get me to play play rugby and that, but I just, I don't like that side of things. Even in football, if I get tackled, I get, get upset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you never have like some PE teacher grooming you for rugby? No, not really. I did go to rugby school, to be honest. It, right. was, it was more of a football school, football, hockey, and probably cricket. Ah, so that suited you with the football then? Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yeah, nice. So, did you keep up the football uh, as you grew older? Yeah, like went to uni, played at university, um, played teams through uni. We had a good, pretty good standard of teams at my university. And then when I came out of uni, I, I, I started playing less eleven aside and started playing more five sides. Um, yeah. And then we used to have a, we had a really good team that we played five-a-side leagues with, you know, just down your local power league or or, um, or what they called power league and goals is the other one, right? Yeah. So this was actually like the golden era of those centres because they just opened around then. So this would be early 2000s. And yeah. They were kind of taken off then, um, the five-a-side five centres. There weren't many of them about and that's when they started becoming national chains. And they were buzzing. Like Monday to Monday to Thursday each centre, we had a local goals and a local power league, would have four or five leagues a night. So wow. four or five leagues of about eight teams. So you're talking, what's that, about 40 teams, if my maths is right? Um, 40 teams yeah. of, of five to seven lads. So there's a few hundred people there all turning up to play football from between five in the afternoon to, to eight, nine in the evening. Um, and they're all league matches and they're all pretty competitive. It'd be 20 minutes a half. You'd have an actual referee who had a who had a qualification, and it was five aside, but it'd get meaty. And mm. you know, and we had we had a team, and like you'd have some really quality teams. 
you'd have some dirty teams, you'd have some real dog shite teams. I think I'd been part of each one of them kind of teams, <laughs> um, or our team had evolved into being each one of them teams at some stage, depending on the personnel that was involved, right? Because it was quite fluid in terms of yeah. people playing for a year or, you know, I ended up playing for sort of five or six years in, in this one team. Um, and then we'd all go and have beers afterwards and that. Um, so it was good. It was good fun. And again, it was one of them things where, like we were saying earlier, it was fitness, but you never actually counted it as fitness. Like if someone yeah. said how much exercise you do a week, you'd have to go, oh, I went to the gym a couple of times. And they're like, oh, what about the football? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do that as well, yeah. Yeah, like I think people just think of exercise as a chore. I had a guy on uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Martin Moore. He's a comedian. He trekked Everest yeah. Base Camp, did a comedy show up there. And he was saying his downtime is working out. His downtime is exercise. And he doesn't view it as you know, like a difficult thing to do. It's just that's what he does to unwind. And I think people view it, or some people view exercise as like, oh God, I've got to like, you know, carve out an hour of my day to work out. But you can actually make it something that's fun. You hang out with your mates, you, you know, whatever it is, whether it's going for a walk with a family, with your pals, or whether it's going down the Powerball Center. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. So while I always had that view in, with regards to football, like football is a fun thing and I never ever considered it as exercise, except when we were training. Right when it was training and doing <laughs> shuttle runs, I was like, "This is yeah. exercise now. This isn't fun." So that's but, how serious you took the five aside. Then you actually had training sessions outside of the league games. No, I mean training at uni and school ah, and yeah, other, yeah. other teams I played in, like Saturday teams or Sunday league teams. I was going to say that would have been an extra level of commitment. To be fair, I wanted the five aside boys to train more because I'm quite competitive, and I was like, I was a captain for a bit, and I was like. We need to we need to be doing a bit more um, yeah. to get better. But anyway, I always felt that football was a fun thing to do and not an exercise thing to do. And and actually, with regards to gym training, I actually noticed a perspective shift in terms of what what uh, Martin was saying. So yeah. I remember when when I first started training and doing non football related exercise, going to the gym or whatever, I did consider it a chore, and it'd be like, oh, I've got an hour of this. It's the same like football training. I always felt like football training with balls fine conditioning work this isn't fun like making me run around a football pitch or making me run up to the halfway line and sprint back that's not football just you know what I mean so but now and I'd say probably over the last five or six years my attitude has changed and for me now exercise is a hobby and I've certainly definitely known that in lockdown that it's not something I do to tick off like I would clean a room or do another chore it's something I genuinely do for fun because I know doing it will make me feel better. Yeah, I, I had the conspiracy theory that the lockdown was just engineered by Peloton and manufacturers of running shoes just to sell more goods because as soon as you tell people they have to stay indoors or they can only go out once a day, they're yeah. going to do that. Like I would never go for a walk in my local park prior to lockdown, but by God, I was going out once a day for my allocated walking or running time each day. Yeah, it's true. Like I, my, funnily enough, my New Year's resolution this year was to focus. One of my New Year's resolutions, like I always have a few, and like one of them was to focus on um, a part of that I've always neglected, which is weird, given that we talk so much about football. But I hate running. I've always hated running, and I think the reason I hate running is related to playing football. Um, and so that lockdown actually was a little bit of a blessing because I finally finally managed to get my head around running and I didn't just take it up 
I've stayed with it and I've carried on doing it and I actually really enjoy it. And I never used to enjoy running and now right. I do. That, that, that's impressive. All right. Convince me that running is a good idea because I'm the same. I, I've always had this like deep antipathy towards running. I don't know why, but I've made several attempts to kind of start running. I've just never been able to get into it. Like I'll cycle, I'll walk for hours, yeah. I'll throw some weights around, but running just bores me. Like, go on, pitch, pitch it to me. I know what you're saying. So I, 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 maybe, you're, maybe you have a similar thing to me because you said you, you grew up playing football as well, right? Badly, but yeah. But you have to run to play football, right? So yeah. you, sh- you should have the miles in your legs. So I think for me, the reason I dislike running was because having grown up playing football, you, in football, you're always um, changing pace, which is what actually keeps you kind of from getting bored. You're, yeah. you're changing direction, you're twisting, you're turning, you're running slowly, you're running backwards, you're running sideways, you're sprinting, you're stopping, you're doing all that. Whenever I attempted just, let's just pick a distance, five or six kilometers, right? Anytime you're going to run more than, you know, a kilometer, you've got to keep a fairly steady pace, right? So whenever I used to attempt that in the past, um, I would just, um, I'd just set off too quick. I'd, I'd start running and I'd be like, I could go quicker than this. And yeah. eventually raise up to a sprint and then be completely destroyed. And then I'd be like, oh, well, I can't do this. Right. And you start defeating yourself negatively yeah. in your mind. And you're like, oh, well, that, I failed at that. Right. I, I obviously haven't got it in my bank. Um, whereas this year I was like, OK, what are the things that upset me about running or what are the things that I find most challenging about it? And one of the things was like you said, I do get bored. Um, but this is going to sound like really silly because you know I appreciate not everyone is in the same circumstances to just go and throw money at a problem. But I thought, right, well, I love music. Music makes a difference to my workouts. Just surely music will make a difference to my running. So I was like, right, I'll get some proper in-ear headphones. If I have to pay a little bit more, I'll get ones that are not falling out and I'm constantly jiggling about with them. You know, there's some pretty good Bluetooth headsets available. So I got that and then I got myself some running shoes because I've always read like if you're going to run, only wear them running shoes for running. Don't wear shoes that you run in and then train in and then do gym stuff in because you end up ruining them and then actually you'll, you'll end up getting injured on a run. So I did that and I thought, well, that will give me some motivation as well because I want to get a return on that investment, so to speak. And then I just I, I downloaded an app. I didn't get like a couch to 5K thing. I thought yeah. about it, but I downloaded the Nike app actually, and that, that was pretty good. And they've got like various programs on there. It talks to you, you can play your own music, it tells you when to go, when to stop. And honestly, like January and February, I was like running, walking, running, walking to try and build up the because really what you're doing is you're trying to build up the endurance in your legs because yeah. you haven't really got that even though you even though you probably do 10 kilometers in, in a game of football you know or five kilometers or whatever it might be you're you're not building up the same level of endurance because you're stopping and you're resting and there's times where you're not running there's times where you're strolling around whereas to run consistently for five kilometers you, your your legs have got to build up to that so over time eventually i built up to it and then when lockdown hit I was like, perfect. I can just spend more and more time running. And I got my 5K time down. I got my 10K time down. And now I'm like, you know, I can run a, a 10K fairly comfortable pace without having to think too much about it. So how, how did you track that progress? Were you sort of measuring distance per run or were you measuring time to run a set distance each time? 
Yeah, so I started small, I guess. Like, I was like, I'm going to go 5K. Yeah. Um, that's like a fairly standard starting point, I guess, right, uh, in terms of a distance. And I remember knowing that, you know, if you if you get under 30, 30, 30 kilometers, if you get under 30 minute 5K, that's a fairly decent pace. Mm. So that was kind of my benchmark like i want to get to 30 minute 5k and that took me probably until march to get i think my first one was around 28 minutes and then i was like right let's just see how quickly i can keep getting 5k and then eventually i got that down to i think 25 minutes in maybe april or may and then i was like okay well instead of going for short fast runs let's go for a bit longer and then i started working my way up to a 10k pace and so i went back to slowing down slowed right down and then went to a 10k pace but it's quite handy i've got a couple of friends who are into running and they were really helpful and giving me like guidance you know just things like um one of the key ones they said was like build your distance up only 10 percent a week right because even though you feel good and you feel like you could do more it does put a strain on your legs and it will catch up with you eventually so don't run like 10 kilometers in your first week over two or three days and then try and do 20 kilometers the following week increase it slowly so i kept that rule quite hard and fast so you know i got up to about 30 kilometers a week in in august right and then I, the football center started opening up again so i started playing football which affects the recovery time so i'm doing a little bit less overall mileage um now but that 10 percent rule was quite handy did you find that having done the running over the summer during lockdown when you went back to football your performance was upped a little bit I think it's improved all, all, all my fitness. Like even I do Zoom classes, obviously, because the gym, gyms are closed. Yeah. Um, and I noticed um, my, my fitness across the board was getting better um, just because of running. I think running is probably the best exercise you can do all round. I've probably burns the most calories. Maybe swimming, but, you know, it's not as accessible. Um, but I think you, you're, you're probably building your, your lung capacity the most in running you're building strength through your legs um just through smashing the pavement however many times during the course of a run and mentally i think it's also making you stronger for doing more reps of something just because running's one of those things like as soon as you start you're like why am i doing this and there's a constant battle that you're having to face throughout because you can stop any time Right. there is literally yeah. nothing there is literally nothing preventing you from stopping like if you're in a gym class and there's other people around you and there's a coach you're kind of like you've got the social pressure to keep you going and you've paid for it and you're there but with a run i could just stop and walk home at any point and yeah, no one would know i think that's also something that's probably gets the heart of maybe why i give up on running so easily is I think the only thing that you're trying to defeat when you run or the only thing that's kind of working against you is yourself. Like if you're playing in a footy team and and you lose a match, well, it could have been your defender. It could have been your striker missed that sitter. It could have been your keeper was off form. It could have been the other lot were cheating. The ref was blind. There's a million and one things. But if you're out doing a run and you want to get your 5K time down, other than maybe a bit of wind or rain or, or conditions or you slip on a banana peel or something, the only real thing that's keeping you back is yourself. Like you're just working against your own best efforts. Yeah, no, you're right. And it, it, I think the lockdown was quite obviously a strange time and a tough time for 
for everyone really in a lot of different ways um you know obviously it affected different people in different ways and to different degrees but i can't think there was anyone that wasn't affected by it um i can't think there was anyone at the start of the year who thought oh a pandemic would be really good for business maybe <laughs> what maybe the guy who owns amazon possibly but yeah. um yeah so it was quite a nice stress reliever and to go back to your point earlier when you were like you can't leave the house you know i think people have forgotten back in april or may there was literally nothing open it was yeah. like forget the pubs only been open till 10 they weren't open at all um neither were the beer gardens neither were even the shops um so that running was actually like you know it's a it's a really poor example but it's like being allowed out in the yard i imagine if you're in prison for an hour right like it's obviously a completely different level of experience yeah you, you're not you're not going to miss it because that's your one window a day to yeah. get out there and enjoy it you know exactly and, um and just yeah be somewhere that isn't your house yeah so so growing up you play football you you kind of got into running um and you know tell me a bit about how you've kind of kept on track there has it been pretty consistent have you always found it easy to keep that going or has anything ever sort of sidelined you from that sort of fitness regime no i'd say i was sidelined for a fair chunk of my life so not loads it wasn't anything super drastic but i think around 28 i did my hamstring in a football match it was a game in regent's park it's really strange actually because like i remember at half time everything was fine i remember the coach was like yeah everyone good to go on i was like yeah i'm fine and then a minute into the second half my hamstring just went <laughs> and he'd made all three substitutions at half time and i was like i can't play and he's like i asked you a minute ago if you were fine and he said yeah i said yeah i was then but i'm not now <laughs> oh man I'm completely bollocks. And um, it was the first time I'd ever done it. It genuinely felt like someone had shot me in the back of the leg. Like I was just running over the top and all of a sudden, just this massive pain. And so what was it like? Just one quick, short, sharp? Yeah. It, I mean, like I said, I've never been shot, but I would imagine it just felt like something popped at the back of my leg. Yeah. And then the next thing I remember was that there was no power. Like I couldn't generate any power. Ooh. And... It was the first time I'd ever done an injury like that. Like I'd, I'd broken a wrist in the past and, and maybe some other knocks, you know, a turned ankle or, or something like that. But I'd never done anything that serious like to a muscle. And yeah, I remember going straight over to the sideline saying I need to come off. And he said, what have you done? And I said, well, it's my hamstring. And the thing is, I knew it was my hamstring and I knew I'd torn it because I, you know, I was a Liverpool fan. I remember when Michael Owen did his hamstring, he used to talk about what it felt like. And I was like, oh, that's what he, that's, that's exactly what he used to describe. So I was like, it must be, must be Mahami, right? And then, um, so this guy, rather than play with 10 men, he said, why don't you play centre mid? Because I was playing striker. Just walk right? it off, son. Yeah. So he was like, instead of playing up front, because obviously I've not got any straight line speed at all because I'm on one leg. He was like, go and play in centre mid. So I ended up playing 45 minutes in centre mid. Ah, oh, geez, with um, a busted hamstring. Yeah. <laughs> Just like as a, like I couldn't get about the pitch at all it was just like I just remember looking over every two minutes and like putting my hands up and saying like what what is the plan here you might as well just take me off so I don't think that helped uh, the recovery put it that way 
Yeah, at that stage, you might as well not be on the pitch rather than like try and be on there and do some kind of quasi half job. Exactly, exactly. I can't remember. I think we lost the game three one. Yeah. So you knew straight away you'd busted your hamstring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or did you have to go to hospital and have like someone confirm that for you? No, no, I knew, I knew, I knew it was gone. Um, and then, yeah, like I think I went to the doctors the next day, and he was like, "Yeah, you're not going to be doing anything for like six months." Yeah. So what's that recovery process like from a busted hamstring? Well, it's, I, I wish I'd, sounds weird. Like I wish, here's the weird thing. Like so that happened when I was 28, which would be around 2009. And we're in like 2020 now. What people don't realize is like how much more information we have access to just comparatively to 10 years ago. Like obviously the internet and stuff was still around then but there just wasn't as much info or data and stuff like that out there. So it wasn't as easy to just go and get like physio and stuff. Like you can go on YouTube now and there's some really good channels that will take you through like rehab and movement stuff. And there's also some that say the earth is flat. So you've got to pick your that, channels carefully. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Like, yeah, I'm not going to be rubbing like leeches on it, for example. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I probably didn't take it as seriously as I, I should have done. Like I, because it was the first thing I'd done. I was like, oh, you know, I'm sure I'll be fine and I'll be back in two or three months. And in your twenties, you're bulletproof. You think you're going to live forever. And this is, you know, exactly a minor I, inconvenience. Yeah, exactly that. And I came back and it wasn't right. And I kept doing it over and over again. And then I started having problems with the other one, probably because of a result of the first one. So I would say from like 28 to about 32, my, I was playing, but not to the same standard as before. I was doing gym. And also at that time, like my career was picking up more so. Obviously, as you get older, your career takes over more of your life, I guess. So I was in sales, which is a very social career. And those days, again, things change so much in 10 years. Those days are very much a very still like the old school sales, like last days of Rome, like taking your clients out, getting Expense account. exactly going out with them, getting, getting the drinks in um, and, and doing it all again the next day. So the reduction in like my physical capability, the reduction in my physical activity and then the increase in my social activity, albeit through work and that just led to me putting on you know loads of weight i probably i put on a good chunk like i would say i put on like three or four stone like wow. i've got i've got a driver's license picture of myself from like the peak of that time and um it's obviously just my face and like obviously driver's license picture is like 20 years so i've got another 10 years of it <laughs> and people look at it and they're like is it you know you've did you do you watch um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah, yeah. You remember there was that episode where there was like a fat Dennis who was yes. a sex offender? <laughs> like, it's like that. It's like a fat Dennis face on my driver's license. Um, so, yeah, I've still got that. Um, Just so got to yeah, ride it out. Yeah, exactly. I've got another 10 years and then we'll see what it looks like then. Um, yeah, no, I feel you're paying my, my driving license photo is a, a regrettable haircut choice. Oh, uh, yeah. frozen in time. And the worst thing was about that driver's license photo was that I went into the, I think it was a post office that had a specific photo booth 
or a camera. So the woman had a camera behind the, the counter to do what is a driver's license photo and you get it turned around in a day. And I have a habit of getting into rows with people in customer service settings for anything. Like just, I'm basically like a young Larry David and <laughs> we were having a row about something. I can't remember what it was. And she took the picture of me mid row. So not only have I got like a humongous face, I'm also like, like just shouting something <laughs> just looking really aggressive and angry yeah and then she was just like there's your picture i was like can i take another one she's like no she's like 110 quid or whatever the bloody hell it was and oh jeez. So, yeah. <laughs> wow so how long was that recovery period then how long were you sort of out and unable to train like i, I mean i started playing football again soon after but it wasn't the same and like i said other things had taken over like work and socializing and all those kind of things so you'd go to the gym but not with the same intensity yeah it was almost more of a like i've got a gym membership i should go and then you're just kind of walking around and just doing a couple of dumbbell curls and yeah. um <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> look in the part rather than actually working grafting yeah you know? so you, you kind of hit this crossover of careers taking off that side of your lifestyle sort of changing yeah your activity levels are probably dipping but you still kind of kept maintained some sort of commitment to remaining active yeah i mean I st the weird thing was i still played football but i was more like um i was like i'd like to describe that era as like my fat gaza years right so, like, <laughs> i still had the yards in the heads and uh, like um like sometimes you'd be playing like five aside against the team which was full of like 18 year olds and they'd all be like oh this fat lad can play <laughs> and, uh, yeah. so you had the footwork and and, and the yards in the head but yeah um yeah that, that must cut deep because you're like oh what a nice compliment oh, <laughs> yeah. what a horrible yeah. insult exactly exactly <laughs> so so the the work thing was kind of kicking up um during that time what were your vices then was it food was it booze what was it that kind of led you astray and led to that sort of three four stone weight gain yeah i would say a bit of both really like with the entertaining you're like you're always um you're eating out a lot with clients and that and that's you go into nice places you know and i think it was around about that time like, I, I i did i started drinking quite late like i didn't really drink until i went to uni if that makes sense like yeah. and i never drank beer until I like how that says something about the UK when you say, Yeah, I started late, not until I went to uni. Most people <laughs> yeah. go to uni at 18 when they're <laughs> legally allowed to drink, exactly. And then, um, when I um, that's probably when I started drinking more beer than spirits, and I would say there's probably a correlation between drinking beer rather than spirits and, and weight gain, um, yeah, and um. And it was also the time of my life where there were like a lot of stag do's and stuff. So there's always a stag do around the corner. Like I've got quite a big circle of friends. So I was always kind of invited on them. So there'd be, there'd always be like a big trip that you were preparing for. And a lot of my mates from, from uni were all rugby boys. So. So they're not going to go easy on those stag do's. No, 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 exactly. And especially if you were the, if you were the guy who wasn't a rugby boy, you'd kind of get, get a bit as well so you kind of had to learn to drink with them yeah. so yeah i think all those things kind of combined together and just like you said it's, it's one of those things like it's a habit right you go if you go to the gym four or five times a week and then all of a sudden you go three times a week and then eventually you go in twice or one time a week that space is taken up by other things 
and normally that space is taken up by other things that are easier to do as in grab a few pints with a mate get some food i mean the the client side of it was mental christmases were like a four-week onslaught of taking clients out constantly generally one of the one of the guys i worked with got gout one christmas <laughs> right <laughs> like cause just he had, on the port and cheese exactly like you're just like you come back in january and you're like where's so and so oh he's got gout he won't be back for another month oh, God. And, a mate uh, of mine at uni i think we were about or it was probably a year or two after uni i think he's like 25 and he got gout yeah was like, what are you doing at 25 <laughs> gout? i mean exactly. i know what he was doing he was leading the life of riley but yeah yeah it doesn't sound pleasant so um in that respect you can you can kind of see why you, you, someone would put on put on weight in that kind of a, an environment yeah and your your work took you overseas is that right yeah i went overseas to to work on a business around 2015 which yeah so by then i'd got back to a fairly good level of activity and was in was in decent shape but then i went abroad to 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 work on this business which unfortunately didn't work out which is the nature of these things they, they tend to be fairly high risk but over there again being in quite a stressful environment and away from home it was the same thing where you're doing less of that and and more of that although Weirdly, when I was in I was in Thailand for a bit, I started playing football quite regularly, and they had a really good expats group, and it was kind of set up by our email, and there was probably a an email chain of about hundred people on it, and they would they booked out this seven aside center, and you'd have about six games going on at the same time, about maybe forty or fifty lads. So it's a really good way of meeting people, yeah. and you'd get to play football as well. So that kept me the Thai Power Bowl League. Yeah, well, it was expats. So you yeah. get so there was there were hardly so it was one of those things where, you know, there was hardly any locals playing. It'd be people from all over Europe, like there'd be French lads, like English lads, German lads, and we'd all be in mixed teams and playing playing football. And and you'd get to meet people and do some networking afterwards as well. So it's good, it's good fun. And that that was my main physical activity out there. It was tough playing in like thirty three degrees, like ninety eight percent humidity. You had to learn a completely different way to play. Um, but it's good fun. Yeah, it's weird how like I think climate does shape the style of football in various countries. Like, there's a reason why Brazil play like they do. There's a reason why Spain play like they do. There's yeah. a reason why in England I think it's a much more faster-paced game because you're not dealing with the heat and the humidity. I always thought that was like an obvious point, but a lot of people don't seem to get it um they think it's by choice but i'm like no i think it's it's fairly obvious like go and try and play it's it's like england always used to get hammered for world cups and i'm like world cups are in the summer and it is a different game in the summer um especially if it's a summer in a hot country as well right so although i do think we should have done better at some of them um it, it is a different game for, for sure. So, so, so that uh, lifestyle of being overseas, did it feel a bit like a holiday because you were overseas, you're in this hot weather, you're in this kind of lively expat scene? Yeah, it did, I guess. I think the way you're saying it there, it does make sense. Like, I remember when the football started on the TV, it was like the perfect time. So it'd be three o'clock over here and seven o'clock in the evening over there and they oh, would yeah. have all the games. So you could literally sit there from seven until one in the morning, watch three games back to back, have a few beers, have some foods um and again you you kind of fall into bad habits rather than good habits so yeah like although i was playing football once a week not doing much more than that right and then again there's so much food out there that's so cheap 
and really good quality. Um, so this is in Thailand, right? This yeah, is, right. Yeah. Exactly. Or, you know, even when I was in Malaysia, it was the same. You could get really good food for yeah. not much money, um, which is a, a dangerous combination. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's the whole party lifestyle around that. Yeah. It's just like, you know, you could just, it wasn't even more partying. Like I said, it was more like you could just find a sports bar and just sit there and have like six or seven beers and watch three football matches back to back. And that, and, and if the weather's nice, and like you said, it feels like you're being on holiday. You do that Saturday and Sunday, right? Um, yeah no i think it's that sense you're away from home you're kind of out of that routine it's more difficult to establish a routine when it feels like it's a temporary arrangement or that it's exactly how in a, a place that isn't home as such exactly and in a way it's kind of like you find the comforts of home so like obviously the uk's got a big pub culture so having a beer abroad is kind of like what you do as a brit <laughs> and yeah um, <laughs> watching a football abroad is kind of like what you do, I guess. Um, yes. Some, some things are constant. Exactly. But it's like that. It's, it's, I keep, the word I keep coming back to is like the comfort, it's the comfort of it. No, Com- so it's, comfort's it's, not necessarily a good thing, right? Comfort's a thing that is a good thing, but it's not something that you should constantly indulge in. No, you can't live permanently in your comfort zone. It's not a healthy you, place to be. You have to exactly. Kind of, peek your head out from the covers now and then precisely it's like literally you know the most comfortable place is like in bed under the duvet just chilling but if i did that every day for a month you'd be like is everything okay hodge i like yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah no you appreciate like in winter it's kind of good to go out for a walk in the cold in the snow in the rain exactly appreciate coming in and sitting there in dry clothes so much more whereas if you just sit in there like i'm not going out you don't really get an appreciation for where you are as much yeah exactly and i think variety is kind of the spice of life really isn't it yeah for sure so how long were you out in thailand for not too long like i was out there a while um not a year I don't know, maybe six or seven months, something like that. But we had, as I said, things didn't work out business-wise there. So I ended up coming back and looking for work in the UK. And I would say that's when I got serious about fitness again. So I continued to have, over the last four or five years, I've had various challenges with work that have just frankly been down to a bit of bad luck at times. That hasn't been ideal but I would say the difference between that and maybe the previous five years where things were going really well with work and I wasn't training as much is that this, this five years where it's almost been the opposite work hasn't gone as well. Um, I've been doing a lot more training and it's been a lot more constant. So I, do, I joined the gym in Holborn and I really, I've always wanted to. So one of the things I always wanted to do was do a pull up like a, a proper pull up, right? Yeah, because I always used to see guys doing pull-ups, and I'd be like, "That's really badass thing to be able to do," and it's a really fucking tough move. So whenever I used to try and do one, I could barely crank one out right. And if I'm if I got one, it was like with all my might and probably the worst technique in the world. So when I joined this gym, there was a class there called bartenders, and I met the coach, and he I still train with him to this day, and I've been training with him for five years now, and he's honestly like changed my perspective on so many things 
so yeah he runs a company called body and bars and they've got a website called bodyandbars.com with a z and like that took my fitness and my attitude and everything around that to another level i would say nice it wasn't the gym box in hoban yeah it was yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. i used to be a member there as well oh okay we didn't bump into each other then that's weird no no it was uh what would it have been 2014 2015 time i'll be honest with you i joined Um, just after that i joined the summer of no i would have joined um maybe 2016 january ah cool so no no crossover I i will be honest with you though my membership there was pretty much only useful so I could go and have a shower after I'd slept in the office. After oh, fair hour. enough. So uh, it was a pretty cool gym, though. You kind of go down the stairs, they've got the big open. That's space. right. It's in yeah. a basement, practically. Yeah, it, was, it used to be a car park, I think. So Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how many pull-ups can you manage now? Stripped, like properly, with a stop at the bottom. Um, I'd say at least 10, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. That's yeah. through working with, um, with Ali, as I said. You know, I still, so even over the summer, since lockdown, we train together most days on Zoom. He runs classes on Zoom. He's a really good trainer. Wow. Do you have one of those bars that you kind of hook onto your door frame? No, I actually went out and bought a bar that is a frame. um, And it's kind of, it's, it's fairly lightweight. It's designed to be portable. Um, It's by a company called Pull Up Mate. And, um, when lockdown happened, I tried, I didn't realize, and I, I managed to get some kettlebells in just yeah. before everything sold out. And then I, um, I, I had to wait until they released some more of this because everything was super oversubscribed and everyone sold out of stock. And this company's called pull up mate. And basically it's, it's kind of like, it is metal. It's pretty robust. Um, but you put it together yourself and it's got these clips and you can take it apart yourself and take it down the park if you want. But, you know, I don't need to. I just have it in the garden and just train in the garden. And it's nice. like a full, full frame. You can do all sorts on it. You can put it on its side and do push-ups. And you can dip, you can take it down to halfway and do dips. So it's like a bit of an all-round piece of equipment. Useful, useful. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you came back to the UK so two things one when, when did you start doing comedy was that whilst all this is going on um, no good point good question comedy i started doing comedy in 2013 before right. i went abroad right and i did a two-year stint from 2013 up until 2015 which is when i went abroad yeah then when i came back my idea was always to get back to doing comedy but I was so bogged down in trying to sort my work situation out. And like I said, there were some ups and downs and challenges that I didn't get back into comedy until 2017. Well, so you took a bit of a hiatus. Yeah, I was doing gigs in 2016, but they're fairly spaced out and they were with like one or two promoters that I knew. So I just jump on and do a spot every now and again. Yeah. And then 20, end of 2016, was it end of 2016? 2017 it really started picking up again like i was starting doing regular gigs and you know new material open mics all sorts paid gigs etc etc yeah yeah how do you balance because my experience of comedy is it's a lot of late nights you're in bars you're surrounded by comedians who are generally big drinkers and fiends of all kinds of descriptions so how do you kind of balance that with trying to stay focused on keeping fit and maintain a sort of balanced lifestyle yes when i first when when I first started doing comedy, so my first stint, which was in 2013, 
I made a decision back then to not drink when I do gigs. I kind of made a conscious decision based on what you're saying, actually. I was conscious of the fact that I like doing comedy. It's something I want to pursue, irrespective of whatever level I get to. Um, I, I like doing it. I'm going to do as many gigs as I can for as long as I can. But I was aware that um, if I if I do that, I'm going to be spending lots of times in pubs. Um, and you're around alcohol and, and you start drinking. So I was like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to be drinking um, two or three times a week if I'm doing comedy. And then, you know, if I'm at the weekend meeting mates and socializing as well, that's just unsustainable. So I was, I was quite aware of it then. So I was like, right, I'm just going to make the decision not to drink um, when I do comedy. And the second one was, I uh, was like, I didn't want it to become a crutch to perform. So yeah. I was like, it is very nerve wracking to do comedy, but the whole point of it is that I will always have nerves when I do comedy, but the whole point of it is to manage those nerves and you shouldn't need to manage them via an external source like alcohol. Yeah. And I think if you are feeling nervous, the amount you would have to drink to not feel nervous means that you're going to be incapable of doing anything. Yeah, exactly. And I like to be sharp on stage. That's not like, not, super rehearsed i think your your comedy style is quite similar to mine you're like quite conversational quite relaxed on stage but you're also quite sharp and, and witty and i think if you have a couple of drinks then that's going to affect that kind of style especially if someone throws a curveball at you from the audience oh for sure i mean when i first started doing like open mics i would have like a few pints and stuff and i yeah. definitely noticed the difference in a, how well things went down, and B, like how I felt on stage when I didn't have a drink. Because you're in the moment, you're sharper, you're not having to rely on some kind of false Dutch courage. Exactly, exactly. And the weird thing about being on stage is that I've done, you know, over the five years and those two periods, you know, I've done hundreds of gigs, but I don't actually remember any moments of being on stage. It all goes through like in a blur. It's not like I can remember, oh, yeah, I told that joke once and everyone went laugh. I remember the moments but i don't really remember the specifics of the moments um you know there's probably less than five minutes worth of memories in my brain of being on a stage and talking to people yeah so that being in the moment thing i think is quite an important thing like yeah it was in the call like flow stage so you're kind of almost walking on autopilot but in a good way i think the moments that you do remember on stage certainly the ones that i do is when i've absolutely died a death on stage because yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. everything in excruciating detail every second of that yeah when you say when you when you say a bit that you know normally get to laugh and you just get silence back and you're like well this is gonna be interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but again like you say that yeah i think feeling nervous is healthy and i think whether it is comedy, whether it's, I think, running, I'll take that advice yeah. that you gave on board, whether it's anything. I think it's important to also fail at what you're doing because how else, how else are you going to improve? You know, I think when, you know, from what you said with running, I think you have to go out there and hit the limit of what you're capable of because then you know what you're working against to improve. So those things are like good information to kind of take forward, whether it is dying a death on stage at a comedy night or you know, going for a run and having to call it a day after three minutes. Yeah, you're right. It's like the failure thing is the most important thing. Like when I used to give up on running in the past, it was because I'd fail and I would just assume that that meant I'd never get better. Whereas actually this year I took the approach of, 
you're going to have good days and bad days. And maybe that's come as a result of other training that I've done and realized that you have to push through it and eventually you, you will get it and there will be a step change and comedy helps, right? Comedy is the same thing. Like you write a joke and you're like, that's hilarious. This is my writing. I write a joke and I'm like, that's the funniest joke I've ever written. That's hilarious. Then I practice the joke a hundred times in my room or wherever. And by the time it's the hundredth time, I'm like, this joke is terrible. And then five, <laughs> minutes, five minutes before I'm going on stage, I'm like, this joke is the worst joke I've ever written. Why did I think it was funny? I'm never going to do it again. And I go on stage and I say it and it gets a laugh. And I'm like, oh yeah, because they're hearing it for the first time and I'm hearing it for the hundredth time. And yeah. it was good. Um, but sometimes it is shit. Yeah, well, you know, like like anything. Yeah, it's like saying a word. You know, some words you'll kind of say over and over again. The more you say it, the weirder the word looks. Do you ever experience that? Or you see a word written down, you're like, what is that? Like, that, yeah. that's not how I remember that word being spelled. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, familiarity absolutely. breeds weirdness. Um, so kind of going back then, so the Spartan races, I think you mentioned when we were speaking earlier, you first did one of these Spartan races and you had three weeks notice is that right yeah that's right so this was so i'd actually left the job um so again it was that it's that thing about what we were saying about um failing so obviously as i mentioned career things are not going so well now but i'm starting to get more and more into into fitness and so i'd left this job and my cousin phoned me up and he said oh do you want to do one of these spartan races and i'd heard about them but i'd never had any inclination to do them because because of the running i was like i don't want to run that far and then on top of that i've got to do 25 obstacles it'll bloody kill me do you know what i mean but because i was quite fired up i was like okay well this hasn't worked out this this career opportunity but i was very fired up to be like right well i have to keep going like i'm not just gonna give up or whatever like i'm sure there'll be another opportunity soon enough i'm not going to spend the next month moping around the house so i need something to 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 occupy me so by chance he called me up and said do you want to do this race and i was like yeah fuck it like let's do it let's see what happens and then we signed up for it and i was like okay we've got three weeks to prepare and this is kind of like the in hindsight this is like the the benefit of innocence or naivety is that you just do it without realizing what the consequences are knowing what i know now I would never sign up to a Spartan at three weeks notice. Um, yeah. So tell me a bit about what a Spartan race is. What's involved in one of these? You know, the distance, the obstacles. Sure. So there's three distances. Um, the first race, we chose to run the middle distance. So the distances are roughly, there's a Spartan sprint, which is five km, five kilometers. Yeah. And I think 15 obstacles. And then there's the Spartan Super, which is around 12 to 14 kilometers, depending on the course, and 20 obstacles, 20 to 22 maybe obstacles. And then there's the Spartan Beast, um, which is um, a half, half marathon. So it's around 24, 25 kilometers, I think. And that one's got 30 obstacles. They're in the they're in the countryside, so effectively it's trail running. You're running through mud, running up and down hills. Um, you're running through farms and woods, essentially. Um, whoever they've they've I guess they've hired the site off. Um, and 
then there's various obstacles, right? You have things that are like, you know, your, your basic obstacles, which tend to be at the start of the race, like a four foot wall, um, you jump over or you climb under, they go all the way up to eight foot, which are a bit trickier to do. Um, you know, there's different ways to navigate them. There's like a rope climb, there's monkey bars, there's slightly different grip monkey bars, you know, like rings. Um, there will be cargo nets. There will be uh, an atlas carry. So, you know, like those big stones you see the strong men with, remember? Yeah, yeah. Strong, so you have them, you have to carry them to one side, do five burpees, carry them back again. Um, there's like sled drags that you've got to do. There's so many different obstacles. I mean, I won't go through them all. There's carries, you know, they just give you a sandbag. It's like, here's, here's a 35 kg sandbag, just carry it around for a mile. So it's not really the kind of thing that you can just rock up at with three weeks notice having done minimal prep how, how did you get on in that first spartan so this is where there's a benefit to being naive and innocent my first spartan i got a pretty average run time um in terms of getting around but i didn't fail with single obstacles so there's an important distinction here between spartan race and um what's the other one tough mudder tough yeah. mudder you're allowed to skip an obstacle and you're allowed mm. to fail an obstacle with Spartan, that's not the case. If you fail or choose to skip an obstacle in the Spartan race, um, you have to do 30 burpee punishment. Wow. 30, 30 burpees is quite a lot because 30 is a good, 30 is an interesting number because it's a tough number to, of burpees to do in one go, right? I can probably do about 20 to 25 in one go at the moment before I'm, before I'm, blo- before I'm gassed out, right? Yeah. And that's now you know at a pretty good fitness level at the moment so there's not many people who can just crank out 30 so it's like you know you're either having to do them in fives or tens or something so if you if you fail the obstacles it's going to slow you down so who's there making race. you do these these burpees then is there some kind of drill instructor at the side yeah they have, they have volunteers throughout the race um, obviously from a health and safety perspective but each obstacle will have a few volunteers one probably keeping an eye on people from a health and safety perspective and then another one who, when you fail or if you fail, you have to do the burpees, um, and they're watching you. But well, you know, I, I can it, imagine the kind of personality that does that. The, the same, the same person who does spinning <laughs> instruction, I imagine. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it's not as bad as you'd think because there's different levels as well in terms of entry. So there's an everyday entry, which is kind of like anyone and everyone can enter. Then there's um, age group, which is the first level of com- competition. And there's actual uh, prizes to be awarded there. And then there's the elite. Um, so once you get to age group and elite, they are very strict on the burpees because there's prizes to be won and people are making money out of this. Right. You know, so it is a proper sports competition and adjudicated as such. Whereas the everyday, um, you know, you can sometimes get away with making a deal with, with them and give them a wink or probably get away with not doing your full 30 burpees. You know, they're not... They're not able to watch every one like they would with the competitive heat, if that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Um, so you do your first spot and you finish, you get to the end. It sounds awful. Why would you want to do it again? Because when you get to the end, it feels amazing. Yeah. And that first one, I'll always remember the feeling because you come off the final obstacle and then there's a bit of a home straight. And the final obstacle, it, it's not really an obstacle, but they have like a fire, um, like a strip of fire and you just jump over it. Wow. 
I mean, no one's getting first degree burns. Like, let's not. It's not like out of lethal weapon or anything like that. Yeah. It's it's about it's about shin high. Right. <laughs> but. The feeling of seeing that and, and jumping over it and then just getting across the line and getting a medal, I was like, that that was an amazing feeling because it was the first time I'd ever, ever done one of them races. Um, and you kind of feel like, okay, well, if I can get through that, I can probably get through like anything. That's kind of how you felt at the time. So how, how soon after finishing that did you want to sign up for your next one? Was it immediately? Was it the next day? Yeah, I wanted to do it immediately. But funnily enough, I didn't actually do another race for a year. Um, although I kept I kept the fitness up um, and I was into a really good rhythm in terms of training and going to the gym. I, I didn't actually do another race for a year. But the following year, I signed up for four races straight away at Christmas. I was like, because I think what happened the following year, I was rather than just sign up, I was doing... I think what you mentioned at the start of the podcast, I was kind of procrastinating a bit and I was like, I'll I'll do the next one. I'll do the next one. And inevitably, whenever you don't book something, something else will come into its place. Um, And then you can't do it because you're booked to go on a weekend away somewhere or something else or or someone's getting married, whatever it might be. Right. So the following year I was like, I'm going to January. I was like, I'm going to sign up for all my races at the start of the year. And I was going to do what they call the trifecta, which is all three distances in one season. So from April through to September, I was going to do all three distances. Um, wow. The short one, the middle one, and the long one. And this time I was doing them alone. So, yeah. So if you do them with someone else, when you're on those obstacles, do you help each other out? Not, so again, with, yeah, you can do. As long as you're not in a competitive heat, you can help each yeah. other out. But we were kind of just doing our own thing and, doing them that the thing about them is um they're all designed to to be done individually so you can help out but we were kind of like well let's give them a go as they're meant to be done so do do it pure yeah yeah exactly so lockdown kind of put the kibosh on on those for this year have they been pushed back to next year yeah they've been pushed back to next year so in a way it's a bit of a blessing and a curse because this year i was planning on doing my first competitive ones so I was going to do the full like um, age group competitive heats and I'd signed up to do those, which is one of the reasons I'd wanted to work on my running. Yeah. So they've all been pushed back to next year, but the blessing is that I've had a whole year, whole year now to get really good at running. So the running aspect of those races was probably my weakest part of my race. The yeah. obstacles I often had no problem with and you you kind of see two types of people running around. Obviously, there are people who are good at both and they're more likely to be in the elite category or the age group category. But I'd see like runners who'd go past me early on and but the end of the race, they'd be cramping up where there was a lot more strength-based um, obstacles. Yeah, yeah. You know, like rope pulls or whatever uh, and various other things. And that's where I would catch up because I would, those are my strong point. So I was like, right, this year, if I can work on my running, then that will help me get better at the others. And the good thing is this year, like I've lost, I've lost weight, but I'm still a decent weight. Like I'm, I'm still like around 92 kilos. So like next year when I do the things, I feel like I won't have lost too much strength fever. Nice. So you've kind of taken the time to perfect your Spartan game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, work on the things I can't do. normally. Yeah. I imagine there'll be events that can 
run with these, you know, the current guidelines on, on mass events and stuff. So I was down at an event, um, the podcast sponsors action challenge did a Chilton challenge, right? 1100, 1200 people all out socially distanced doing a 50 K trail around the Chilterns and it worked. It was like, everyone was kind of nicely separated out there, face masks on hand washing stations. And I think those kind of events where you're out on a trail, kind of a spread out course can work, especially if like say on the obstacles, you don't have to help each other over. So they're not encouraging contact between people. I think those events will be probably more popular next year because I can't see marathons and those big events coming back in, in, the same way where you've got everyone crammed in and they're running shoulder to shoulder, you know, not with the guidelines as they are. Yeah. It's a strange one because I would put Spartan closer to what you mentioned there. It is a trail run um, with the addition of obstacles. And there are points where you're very spread out. I mean, there's been points, there's been points in a race where I've been on my own for 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah. No one around me. So, you know, in that, and you're outside, so you're not necessarily worrying about, covid for example but yeah they did try they kept so this year they they really obviously they're a business as well so they wanted to to go ahead and they kept pushing the races further down the year which is kind of what most events have had to do because no one's known how long it's really going to last or, or what the what the restrictions will be and then they did also issue that because it's, it's an international company and they run loads of races in america as well and i think they managed to get a couple of races in america done although i'm not entirely sure but i do remember seeing them communicate some ideas about social distancing and stuff but then eventually it just got to the point where i think they were like it's not going to be practical i think the challenge is is that people do get bunched up at the obstacles right um, so it's harder to enforce the social distancing because there are times where there's a bit of a bottleneck at an obstacle and you end up queuing and bunching up with people. And I think ultimately they just probably looked at it and thought, this is going to be very difficult to manage. Um, yeah. Any events company, you're not going to want to go ahead with an event if you're not 100% sure it's going to work because the PR would be terrible. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like if you think about, um, you know, they went ahead with the Cheltenham races. Yeah. No, no one wants to be the next Cheltenham races exactly and um so yeah i think that's one of the challenges is that if a couple of weeks later you've got a bunch of people who've all managed to get ill um yeah it's just other things that people probably don't even think about you know there's port to lose and things like that that yeah. people are in and out of how do, how do you keep those clean um you know there's people serving food and drinks so i think it just gets to a point where you go this isn't manageable and if we can delay mm-hmm. it for a year and, and do it better next year than we will yeah and you want to know that people are confident to go along like if you're looking to book and, and pay your money to take part in one of these events you want to know that okay is it going to be done properly or am i kind of rolling the dice yeah and also you want to enjoy it like i you know as tough as they are you want to go around focusing on the race like focusing on where you're putting your foot so you don't twist it and some you know, divot or ditch, making sure you've got a right grip on the obstacle, um, checking your time to see how quickly you're running round. You don't want to be thinking about like, oh, I need to keep two yards away from the person in front of me and two yards away from the person behind me um, in case I get something. Yeah, because then you're having to like modify your pace in a really unnatural (laughs) way. Yeah, it's just, it's not, yeah, it's unnatural, exactly like you said. It's not, you're not thinking about the race, you're not in the moment anymore. 
No. Well, I think what's been pretty clear over this chat is you're pretty good at keeping focused on you know, your own kind of well-being, sort of having space in your diary, whether it's as much as you would want, but at least some space in your diary for training. What would you say to anyone listening to this who's maybe struggling to find the, you know, the mojo, the motivation, who's just looking to, to maybe turn things around and get up there and out and do a bit more? I think um, being organized is important, like making time for it. Because the, the key thing is like being consistent. And like the reason I would book my races so far in advance is because that would force me to put the training in for them um, because I've spent the money on, on booking them and, and they're in the diary. And even though it's in April, I need to start thinking about it in February or March. And that automatically means I'm going to have to start training and doing some work towards it. Uh, otherwise it's going to be a complete shit show. Um, yeah. It's the same as like a comedy show, right? You, you book a comedy gig in two weeks time or a week's time where you book your diary out that automatically in a way means I have to prepare for it. There's people that are going to spend their evening there watching some of them might port tickets. Some of them might be free nights. It doesn't matter. They're still giving up their time and you want to do a good job for, for those people. So I think like being organized is important. Like I think now given that everyone's working from home or all the people that do have the opportunity to work from home, um, you know, hopefully that gives people a bit more flexibility in terms of their calendars. You know, if you, there's loads of people doing zoom classes, mm. you know, there's loads of people still doing zoom classes and you don't really need much equipment. Uh, so you can book those in like lunch times, evenings, mornings. So that whole thing of like having to travel to a gym isn't really an excuse anymore. Um, you know, you can, you don't need any equipment to go for a run, for example. And, you know, you can get fit just with one dumbbell or one, one kettlebell. And, like, and, and, you know, you can have people training you in your house using Zoom now. So it's just a case of, like, getting, getting started. And then I think having a clear goal as well is important. Like, why, why are you doing it? Like, I think the obvious reason that people try and get or get into fitness is, like, from a vanity perspective, perhaps – like maybe that's not the right word it might sound a little bit harsh but it's often to like look better than they do or look yeah a certain way and i think that's probably a, a a poor motivation or a poor motivating factor don't get me wrong that is still a factor and it, it you know I, I i will do fitness and that is part of the reason that i do it but the much bigger factor is the um for me mentally it sorts me out like if 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 i train i'm a different person and if i miss a few days which just doesn't happen anymore because i enjoy it so much then i'm a different person so i want to keep as fit for as long as possible into my 50s um and obviously i'll modify my training and there'll be certain things i won't be able to do and certain things i will be able to do but I remember when I was in my twenties or thirties, early thirties and thinking like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to play football my whole life. And everyone who stops playing football will eventually goes and plays golf. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to play golf. <laughs> like fuck golf. I'm yeah. never going to play golf. Right. <laughs> so I will just play. I'll, just, I'll do this. Like, this is what I'm going to do when I can't play football anymore. Yeah. No, I think that's interesting. What you say, like the, the motivation, why people work out. Cause you, you're right. I think, 
that vanity aspect is often a, a motivator. And obviously, yeah, I think that will play a factor. But I think, you know, if you view that as a byproduct rather than the end goal, you know, the, the end goal is your well-being, your fitness, and I think your mental health, which you mentioned, you know, yeah. a sense of well-being you get from whatever it is you do, but just kind of staying active does have a really big, big effect on on your kind of mood and your general mental state. I think that's always going to be the the bigger goal. And obviously, you know, looking Henshaw, upgrading your Instagram shots is always going to be a nice sort of side product. Exactly. And I think there's there's two types of mental health um, goals or, or results. I'm trying to think of a better word here. Benefits. There's two types of mental health benefits. I think there's the immediate one of like the kind of afterglow or buzz that you get from a class or training. But the much longer term one is it builds resilience. Um, like I said, like the last four or five years, thinking from a career perspective, but keeping the fitness going and certainly this year when the pandemic hit and all the plans that I had got completely blown out of the water, be they comedy plans, be they professional plans, whatever they might be. Um, the moment that happened, I was like, well, I can keep training and that will keep on the short term on a day-to-day basis that will keep me happy and motivated. Um, and that afterglow effect that you get from exercise. But over time you're still seeing improvements and you're seeing them in the mirror every day and that kind of builds a resilience that like it doesn't really matter what life throws at you because you you've done it it sounds weird like I I don't really know how to say it but like you know when you're doing like 29 burpees and you get another one that builds a resilience in you that you can take into other aspects of your life um for sure and I think that overcoming something and actually pushing the boundaries of what you think you can do it is yeah. a really big confidence boost i mean i've told this story in the podcast before but i had this lady years ago she'd booked to do this charity trek to to machu picchu and she was bricking it she'd ring ring up like every other week with you know fearful questions you know because is the, like the altitude and stuff is yeah. it dangerous is the altitude gonna you know kind of end it for me will i get sick uh could i get kidnapped just every possible thing that you could be worried about and then she went out there and did it. She was in her 60s, came back, and she wrote this long letter into the office just to say thank you. You know, I, my husband passed away a few years ago. I was raising money for the hospice that helped him. I'd just been sat at home for like five years, and I've not done anything. And yeah. I signed up to this because I wanted to fundraise for the hospice, but I was terrified. And I got out there, and I did it, and I realized there was nothing to be afraid of, you know. She then signed up to Trek to Everest base camp and did, like, you know, I'm sure she's probably still out traveling the world right now, maybe, maybe yeah. not during COVID. But just seeing how someone pushing themselves beyond what they think they can do, the effect that can have on them mentally, not just physically, is, is really transformative. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I always like to think, or I always say, the one, the only place that the worst play. The only place that the worst case scenario ever plays out is in your mind. And yeah. like, so whenever things go wrong in my life now, or things don't quite work out or I'm anxious about something, I always think like, what is the worst thing that could happen here? And that sounds like a really counterintuitive thing. And I let myself think like, what is the worst possible outcome? And then I go, okay, well, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And the best case outcome doesn't happen either. Right. The reality of life is it's somewhere in the middle but it's a good way of easing that anxiety. And I think 
the thing with fitness is kind of like a metaphor for for other things in that i don't think people realize physically what they're capable of like i remember 10 15 years ago people would be like had a view that people couldn't train into their 40s mm. um, or train into their 50s and now 10 years later like i said with the influx of knowledge and information that we have from across the world there are people who are in really really good shape in their 40s like some of the winners of the spartan races who are in the elite category are in their early 40s you know i'm turning 40 next year and i'm you know i feel like i'm in the best shape i've been in for years yeah. my coach for example who i train with has just turned 54 and he is stacked and a physical athlete you know of the highest level so i think people don't realize like what, what they're capable of. and i think now we're starting to see that well people are starting to realize that how important fitness training is and that you can carry on doing it your whole life like there's people who are in their 60s that are in great shape and i think there's like this myth don't know where it came from that you probably can exercise till till you're about 32 or 33 and then after that not even like stop doing it some people even think it's bad for you you know which is a bit of a mad thing i mean you can't train in the same way at 60 that you would at 25 for sure but you you adapt and change and and modify what you're doing the the i had some guests on like it'll be a few weeks ago when this goes out but it was two london cab drivers they were like 20 plus stone you know sedentary lifestyle sat behind the wheel of a cab and they saw a tweet from another cabbie saying, anyone fancy coming off to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? And they yeah. just did it. They, they put in the hard yards and did the training. They lost about five stone each, you know, got there down go. to sort of 15 stone. But they were in the like 50s, you know, when they yeah. signed up to do that. I mean, that's is no mean feat to do it, but they did it. So, I mean, it's never too late. And the best time to start training is, you know, yesterday. The second best time is today. So yeah. you know, there's no excuse really. And I bet the connection that they made on that trip will stay with them forever. Like I've met some of my best friends, you know, some great connections over the last five or six years, um, training with some really great people at the gym and the people that we all got together and started supporting each other during the lockdown as well, just having chats and stuff like that rather than even training. Um, yeah, I think you kind of build up those, those good networks of, of support. Um, so, Harge, I don't want to kind of take any more of your time. Um, no, th- I appreciate it for uh coming on if anyone does want to kind of catch up with you maybe see uh do, do you have any comedy shows booked up i have one in two weeks in reading but i think it's sold out so they can't come to that one ah. <laughs> <laughs> but i have um no i have i'm doing my solo hour on so it's it's my first solo show and it's on april the 23rd in the museum of comedy in holborn and nice. there's a handful of tickets left for the 23rd date but because the first date originally sold out and we've had a couple of returns because of covid um the 23rd is probably going to sell out very soon there's also a second date on the 30th so friday the 23rd of april and uh, friday the 30th of april two shows the second one's probably got loads of tickets and it's at the museum of comedy in holborn nice one i'll put it's a called link. chicken fried dreams sorry nice i'll put a link to the, where i get tickets in the show notes so people can catch up on that and then uh social if anyone wants to find you on social media yeah i'm on instagram predominantly i've been making loads of videos over over lockdown uh little funny skits um so i'm on i'm on instagram and it's an abbreviation of my full name it's Harj cheems h-a-r-j-c-h-w-e-m-s but yeah nice one i'll bang a link to that in the show notes as well brilliant Thank you. Enjoy this chat. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, mate. It was very good to catch up with you and hopefully I'll get to see you face to face at a gig 
soon. Yeah, and, likewise. Uh, post-apocalyptic worlds. Yeah, whenever, whenever we will be past this apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Thank you, mate. Have a good one. Cheers, man. See ya. Cheers. Bye-bye. There you go. That was Harj Chima. Check out the show notes for links to his social media and his solo show, Chicken Fried Dreams. You can also find links to the socials for the Couch Kicker podcast, which is at Couch Kicker Pod, and that's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So while you're there, why not give us a follow and a cheeky little like? And you can also subscribe to the podcast over on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and we're now on Stitcher too. So I'll see you next week with another great guest. Stay motivated, keep kicking that couch, and I'll see you next time.